0: This week on the Rugby Paper Podcast, joining myself, Nick Kane, Brendan Gallagher and Digital Editor Nick Powell, former Ireland and British and Irish line-lock Malo Kelly joins us to discuss Leinster's end of the season, Ireland's World Cup prospects and the breakdown. We'll jump straight into it. Um, Joining myself, it's Brendan Gallagher, Nick Powell and today it's a former Irish lock who, at one point, was their most capped ever player. He was the first Irish player with 70 caps, and a former British liar, British and Irish lion. Sorry, Mallow <laughs> Kelly. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, Ali. Uh Thanks for inviting me. Um, it's been a while since I've done a rugby podcast, so um, yeah, I'm excited to uh, have a chat with you.
0: Likewise, dust off the cobwebs as well. You're the second guest we've ever had calling us from a car park, which I may as well acknowledge. So what are you doing pan up in a well it looks like quite, it's a blurry background but it looks like quite a big vehicle at least which for someone your size is probably needed
1: yeah well it's you know not don't be giving uh anyone kudos because they're not i'm not getting paid to tell people about my vehicle but i'm driving an electric car <coughs> compliments of my company uh a uh an id4 little uh little run around great for the city zooming around the city but um Gone or gone from one side of the country, or it wouldn't be great now. But yeah, it's grand. It's grand.
0: It Does the job. What's your day-to-day life looking like at the moment?
1: Um, I'm I, so I work in and out of hospitals. Um, so, um, in orthopedics. Um, so I provide all the hip and knee joints to replacement joints to, uh, to, um, the public. Um, so I kind of work with orthopedic teams. Um. Base mainly in the Republic. Uh, I've been doing that for about ten or eleven years, so uh, I'm deemed an expert at it now. Uh, so I have a very small niche, which I can tell you unbelievable amount of stuff about. Uh, so yeah, that's that's about it, really yeah. So, but it's good.
0: What sort of? Well, what's the expertise threshold there? Is it an amount of time, or did you have to do some sort of training to get into it? Because it's obviously quite yeah. a medical without the medicine. Yeah,
1: exactly. It, it's technical. It, it was it's technical. So um, you have to be able to obviously take in a fair amount of information. But um, at the end of the day, you, you're you're not holding the knife, and you're not uh, you're not doing the operation. So you're there as a support mechanism um so uh, there obviously is a certain amount of training that you have to do um depending on what it is that you are going to be an expert in um so the company that you work for will provide you a lot of that a lot of that training and then there's a lot of uh you know there's a, a certain element of you have to you know gain a certain amount of experience in uh in the job and and, and you know, a certain amount of, you would shadow, you would shadow a, you would shadow a orthopedic uh, rep and you would follow them around and you would learn on the go and then you do more training. And um, yeah, look, it takes, it takes a, a couple of years really to be, uh, fully trained, fully trained up, I suppose. Because and and as well, the 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 more complex the operation, the less likely it is to actually happen. So you the less likely to actually see it. Um, but if you can gather all, if you can gather a lot of that information, it becomes invaluable to a surgeon. You know, if you're if you've if you've seen, you know, twenty or thirty uh, revision cases, there's no no revision that'll ever be the same. I'm gonna say a revision, a replacement of a replacement. Uh, it'll never be the same, it'll always be different, and you'll always find that you can offer some valuable nuggets that'll help the surgeon get through some, maybe a tricky situation in the operation. So, sometimes that you bring value to it, and uh, it can be uh, very fulfilling. Um, and it keeps me active anyway, keeps the brain ticking over, uh, keeps me from thinking I'm still a rugby player.
2: So, <laughs> so yeah. You're an engineering graduate anyway, weren't you, Malky? So this was almost yeah. kind of in your line kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, it's something I, you know, uh, I I've, I was, you know, fortunate to get into. I uh, I did do, I studied in Trinity College. I did engineering in, in Trinity College uh, many moons ago before professional rugby was something that you could do. And then I literally finished in Trinity and uh with not a huge amount of uh of an idea of what i was going to do and suddenly professional rugby began and so for me uh it was an easy option uh i got a great opportunity with clive woodward and connor o'shea in london irish uh, to go over there and uh and play i just played ireland a i was really on the rise uh, I was a year or two from getting a cap, so it was it was a very 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 exciting time for me to come out of college and uh, get and then get stuck into into what I really loved, which is rugby. As much as as much as I enjoyed engineering,
0: rugby was what I loved. Yeah, you said that you were trying to. Well, I can't remember exactly what you said, but remind yourself that you're not a professional rugby player, and you certainly still push yourself to some sort of physical limits from what I've seen. You've done a lot of well, there was a rowing world record attempt, a lot of those sorts of challenges and stuff. Are you still sure. doing that? And what yeah. brought them about? We've had a few Lewis Moody springs to mind. Yeah. He was he does yeah. a bunch of crazy stuff as yeah. well. Um, and they're yeah. obviously great great causes because it's all for charity, but they're also great yeah. stories. So tell us a little bit about that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of that is, you know, I'm probably fortunate to be in the network that I'm in. Um, I I I do I do keep fit, and and that's out of necessity. But I, I wouldn't be aerobically very particularly fit. Uh, I I keep fit because if I don't uh, keep my body going, it'll fall apart. Uh, <laughs> I, it's 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 either you're either gonna I'm either gonna be uh, bent over double, or I've got to do. So I have to put a little bit of effort in to keep myself going. So uh, that I do. Uh and um yeah uh, it's great to be able to be involved I've done I've done a lot I played uh, the over 35s rugby again this year which was uh, I really loved it um now I suppose you're you're walking you're walking a fine line there but uh it is it's great crack uh I used to play a bit of five aside with, the, with before COVID kicked in. Um, kind of knocked out the to touch, but we've done a bit of rowing as well. I find the rowing very hard though, like right? to 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 get it. And and I'm in a I'm in a bunch of lads and they row hard and they're top top rowers and uh, it's it's uh, they're just tough men. But I, obviously my physique suits the Ergomax max. <laughs> I don't know uh, if you've done much on on an erg. Like the bigger you are, the better it is. Uh, like you wouldn't want to put me in a rowing boat. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, I'd or with someone because so I'd sink it, you know. So uh, it's uh, yeah, they they they're doing that kind of stuff. It's 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 great. And when you're in the middle of it, like we've done we did a twenty four hour row. Uh, there was uh, and this is all on an ErgoMax. so like you're not you're not on a boat in the middle of the sea. So like you're sit you're on an erg in a gym, and now the gym is pretty industrial, uh, uh, and. We uh just hammering it out, and you' are all go, and then you, you, you but it, it's all about team um so you we were we were rowing we'd row i think it was thirteen to fifteen strokes as hard as you could, and then you you jump off and the next guy jumps on so there's a lot of technique uh in handing over the handing over the reins a row uh you've got guys holding on uh, holding straps for your feet and you have to keep the ergo uh moving you know so there is a bit of technique um and you really don't want to be the one to mess it up uh now there are there are sometimes you mess it up but there's always guys there around to help you so there's a real feeling of team and i think when you when you finish playing rugby um that can be some of the, one of the things that you miss uh, as much as you get involved in in work and all that like you're not really dealing with that kind of elite guy that understands the 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 importance of 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 pushing yourself- pushing yourself as hard as you can to help your teammate that 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 kind of that kind of goes and it becomes a bit more selfish um so uh yeah, that's great. I think we have another one coming uh i I'm, and hopefully it's something that you can like we've got the scots involved there so it could be something that we could we could work, uh, you know, over the Six Nations and stuff like that, you know.
0: What exactly was the world? It was a world record attempt, right? Or one of them was.
1: Yeah. So. So it's an erg. It's a rowing World Cup, as opposed to the, a Guinness World Record. Okay. Now, you know, okay. that yeah. So within the rowing community, so we have. I think we two. Of the, the So first of all, you're. It's in your. Uh, your um age so we're all over I know what it was over 40. Um and we'd one guy who was nearly 60 played for the captain Leinster Chris Pym who was arguably our strongest strongest rower incredible uh, athlete um and uh, most of the guys rugby guys um so first of all that was it was an over 40s uh 24 hour uh row um so we had to row for 24 hours and put a, as much uh of a distance in that 24 hours so i think i'm not sure exactly i think we we absolutely hammered the over 40s record and i think we were about we we're only about uh a kilometer short of the of the actual full record um which which i think we had we had we strived for at the beginning we probably would have beaten it but it's 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 funny you don't the 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 it's it's the kind of the unknown the slight unknown on on something like that you don't know how hard to push yourself because 24 hours it seems like jesus i'm going to be dead by 3 a.m or 4 a.m you know so you, you don't push yourself as hard maybe at the beginning but um kind of the way it worked out we got faster and faster and faster uh and we were closing in on 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 the act the actual target uh and i think we have another target we have another record um what was the other record for i think it was they they the, it was more to reach a target i think it was like uh 100 kilometers or something like that uh with the row 100 kilometers and we, we 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 did it in four or five hours with about 10 of us I think. so uh that was that was the initial one and i believe they did one subsequently that i wasn't available for against scottish guys um and i think that was for, that was one of, i think the, the daddy foundation was certainly uh you know wrote or, uh, involved in that as well um so yeah it's, it's a nice outlet um i can't say i've been on an erg very often but uh uh, I don't get on it that often, but um, I do have one at home. That's all I can say. <laughs> How many?
3: Did hours? anyone see <clears throat> quickly? Oh, yeah. Did anyone see uh, Charlie Yule's uh, little go on the rowing I, machine the other I day? I did.
0: Yeah, it didn't yeah. look like he was actually having to push that hard. And he—I mean, what was it? It was a. Was it a? It was a was two? A, I think turn, it was like a two hundred meter split.
3: So yeah. two hundred meter, yeah, two hundred.
0: Yeah, meters
1: a little bit different. Seconds, yeah. for
3: Twenty-four hours. He was rowing for about twenty-nine seconds. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, so that was it. yeah, but that there's a there's a there's almost like a that's that's quite tough, but that's really what we were doing. So we were doing that, uh, it was probably less than 30 seconds. I think he he looked like he he had about 17 or 18 pulls, uh, so we would have had 12 pulls, so it's that type of thing. So you imagine you imagine and you see all your buddies around you, and everybody's uh, you know, uh yeah you go you, into you're you and getting you getting you uh getting you uh uh involved and then you hop off and the next guy gets on the next guy gets on and the next guy gets on mm-hmm. uh, so that's that's the kind of way it works uh so yeah, so that's we we were actually looking at that as well. So I think that you will probably find a lot of our lads will hop on the will hop on the ERG and and see where they how they fit against mm-hmm. against that little little thing. But that's great, like that's uh, on on TikTok and on those things. That, that that's that's so cool to be able to uh, to put something like that on and and open it up to other communities,
0: it's Great. How many of you were doing it when you did that 24 hour thing? Because that sounds like a lot of chopping and changing. Yeah. I mean, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. We had to strategically think about that and how, how we do it. So we had uh I think we had twenty twenty guys. Oh wow. Um and so we had uh four teams uh and literally we just went we just we just went uh it was like thirteen polls and we literally just kept we kept changing and then uh we were in groups of threes and you do you, you'd be in your three for an hour and then one would come off and another would come on another group so you you would be in i think there was like there was 12 there was still 12 of us always around the erg but we'd be in groups of three so each tree would be on for a, an hour then the next tree would come and then the next tree would come and then the next tree would come so uh it was very strategically planned. Um and uh, you know, every detail was kind of attended to.
0: Yeah, I I sort of have further questions about that, but we're obviously here to talk about rugby, so I'll put a pin in it and maybe ask off air just about I don't know, the structure of it. But that sounds very, very interesting. It sounds like you might have to have a go at the all time, all age record <laughs> at that point. Uh, let's get really. into that rugby <laughs> side of things Um when i do i should probably introduce nick Kane, who has joined us from the wilderness how are you nick i'm i'm very well ollie how are you yeah, i'm all right i'm not too bad uh i wanted to talk about europe leinster etc with mal i i don't know if you had an opening question you wanted to lead in with um in line with that who's that you're asking me yeah yeah if you had some something <laughs> you wanted to ask that. you're up Nick. Yeah. here we go I, I guess
4: i guess the um The thing I'd like to ask you, uh, Malcolm, is um, do you think that Leinster's loss to La Rochelle in that uh, final, uh, the second one in succession, is going to put a dent in Ireland's ambitions at this World Cup or not at all? Um, Do you hope it does? (laughs)
1: Uh um, certainly no, do. I don't <laughs> no, I don't particularly <laughs> uh, I yeah, well I think there's there's I think I think first of all you you, you I, I think it's fair to look at that game in in, in isolation. Uh, and if you were to take it away and say, Okay, this how, why did Leinster lose that game? You could see very 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 quickly you could see why Leinster lost that game. You know, there was a, a number of things that 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 didn't uh work out for them, like not clearing not clearing their lines um but then there maybe there's some other there's some other issues uh that you know could play in to to like uh the as just maybe like a, a psychological element which would be your which would be your fear you know like some of the performances at that highest level uh they weren't able to reach, or weren't able to perform uh, at the level that they needed to win that match, um, and that would be an That would be a concern for, for uh, maybe some of the coaching staff, and they look at certain players and they go, like, well, you know, did he did he had the chance to win that game? He didn't take it, uh, you know if we're in that same situation is something like that going to happen again so that's that's your fear of course uh from my own personal experience uh i i i can't say i ever lost a final of that magnitude um and i do think i do think a certain amount of hurt you take in but if you see i think if you can see um if you can see the reasons why things didn't happen and, and and then become informed as to what perhaps you needed to do to um to have made better decisions um then perhaps that it can be a certain amount of benefit to it um they were certainly put in the cauldron that they want to be in right they, that was that was some match that was some game of rugby um and to have got the start that they had like the twenty point start was just incredible, and the atmosphere was was just unreal so in that in that sense uh it was it was it was a positive experience um but undoubtedly the fact that they then uh it seemed certainly from my perspective that they stepped back a bit and tried to play a territorial match and tried to wait for their opportunities um that La Rochelle side just needed uh, a foothold in the game to 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 show what they were capable of. Uh and and they had to come out and play then, you know? And they showed that they could do that. Um and uh yeah I think yeah I think there was maybe a, a certain lack of leadership there that they will be concerned about. Um and uh, and I can't say that for sure uh, how that will affect the squad, but um, like I think from, from a lens perspective, it was devastating. From an Irish perspective, they can look at it two ways and say, well, these guys got a good run, they're going to be hungry, they're going to want more. Uh, we can write a lot of the stuff that went wrong.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned yeah. a lack of leadership because obviously... Well, we everyone speaks about Johnny Sexton. He was one player that was missing. Is, does that yeah. to a concern in his absence for a lack yeah. of leadership? Commonwealth Cup time when you're in that cauldron, as you said for Ireland. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I think James Ryan, James Ryan had to go off, and then Henshaw went off. Um, so you know, like they are, they are important figures in that in that team, and and, and you are dealing with human beings in 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 an atmosphere that was pretty incredible. Um, And things were starting to go wrong for them. Um, And guys were making little mistakes, like they weren't huge mistakes, but in the final, you just can't afford to make these mistakes. It's it's the team that makes less mistakes, wins, you know, and I think they were caught between what they normally want to do. They normally want to play rugby. They normally want want to take guys on. And maybe there was a call. Look, lads, we just need it. We just need to play territory here. We need to. We just wait for our opportunities. Rely on our defence, which is, which is like Leinster's defence is incredible, and they are sometimes over reliant on that defence. Um, and they do have a tendency to, uh, kick a lot of ball away. Like, every, like, Le, like Leinster have a reputation for playing this incredible rugby and. On occasions it is scintillating, but um, you know, in a in a long season, you'd be surprised how much they rely on their defense. Um, and their defense is outstanding.
2: Uh, but it can take its toll when you're playing a team like La Rochelle. Malcolm, on, on the te- on the subject of, of teams not delivering, um, I got to Cover Island throughout the noughties and it was mainly a, a pleasure and a joy, but you know <laughs> what I'm gonna say now. 2007 World Cup. Yeah. I've asked everybody about 2007 World Cup. Nobody yeah. can put their finger yeah. on it. You were brilliant yeah. in the autumn. You beat the Aussies, the South Africans,
1: Pacific Islanders.
2: Should have won the slam. Slipped up. Mm. That's defeat against France. But put 45-47 yeah. on England. Why? Mm. What happened? What happened in 2007? Uh, again,
1: I, I don't think there's probably one thing. Um, I think... I think maybe one of, the, one, of the, one of the issues we did have uh, was trying to get game ready. Um, we played a number of matches and we just were off. And so I would say our, our uh, preseason, what we prepared for was way off uh that oh seven World cup was a funny world cup it was one it was won i know south africa it was who was a was the south africa one in the end but uh, <laughs> yeah new zealand were were probably the best team in it and they they were beaten by france uh they played the most rugby uh we were a team that liked to play rugby that was not a world cup about uh who was the better attacking team it was actually a team about who was the best defensive team that argent- Argentina beat france in the very first match and all argentina did was boot the ball straight up in the air and and come up and fan and come up in the fan and absolutely smash and knock guys down and we were definitely a victim uh against georgia against namibia against teams that had suddenly uh incredibly well organized defenses and we and we had uh we had designed a very elaborate game plan. We'd spent all summer working out this incredible kind of complex, multi-multi um, phase. Three guys in the rock, cross the pitch. Uh, you know, a, a real like an incredibly elaborate and way ahead of its time. But we'd spent so much time doing it that we had kind of forgotten the basics of rugby, you know, what, what, what do we need to do? We need it. We need a smash guys. We need a, we need to put guys back. And, and we didn't, we, we I think we let the foot off the, the pedal or we, we didn't have focus on what was really important, uh, for that particular world cup. And we were guilty of, of, you know, t- trying to take the game somewhere where it wasn't, you know, um, and I, I think that's a risk for uh the World Cup now for whatever team gets the right balance between uh attack and attack and defense. Um, you know, if if Ireland spent all their time trying to figure out a new loop that ended up was getting got smashed by Tonga and everybody sees it. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it it it's a funny balance, you know. Um I That's a exactly good an explanation
2: you know, as I've heard, though, Malcolm. And yeah. just from, from watching the games, my impression was that everybody was about a stone lighter than they had been six months earlier. Everybody looked yeah. absolutely lean, you know, like yeah. greyhound lean. But you don't always want that in Test Rugby, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like, we were, we were, we were spending our time baiting around across the pitch and... And then, in the World Cup, we were running backwards, we were running back from rock to rock to rock, uh getting nowhere um and uh yeah i think I think certainly by the time we played, I think it was Argentina we were we knew at that stage we were in big trouble, you know mm. and then france was France was worse again, you know, the wheels had fully fully come off by then you live and learn, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, but hopefully. Uh, this time round, these boys uh, there'll be there'll be no such surprises, you know. I, I, I'm not sure how 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 far in a direction you can take the game at this stage. Anyway, like it'll be interesting to see what the what the how the refereeing. I think the refereeing is 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 a bigger issue, you know, and all the sanctioning and all that kind of cracks. So yeah, yeah. to see where 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 that that takes the game, you know.
4: Where do you think the game is um, particularly at the breakdown uh, Malcolm because we've seen in the super in super rugby and so on that there seems to be and and possibly also in the URC that there seems to be um, greater leeway uh, to compete for the ball uh, at the breakdown than certainly there is in the Premiership where they're pretty prescriptive about well certainly anybody coming in. Any, anywhere pe- approaching the side or whatever else, they'll get uh, they'll get pinged. Do you think that, that that's a key area in this World Cup because there's so much possession comes from it? Um, in any case, and and one of the things that happened, I think, to Leinster in particular in the final against La Rochelle was they started getting penalised at the breakdown in a way that they hadn't been um, during a large course of the uh, of the season what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, well, the breakdown is
1: an incredibly difficult thing to manage. Uh, and even more difficult now because of the, the, that whole uh, safety versus, you know, um, it, it's there, there, there's a, there's a certain dumb and down, uh, in the Rook that they're they're trying to do, they're trying to protect players. I understand that. Um, like we had an instance there where uh, when the, um, the the uh, to- uh, the Leinster uh, sub tight head sent off Al-Towell? for cleaning out. Yeah. Alatoa sorry, he gets first for for cleaning out Columba. Um, like a player today, when he's when he's you know preparing for a match he's going, I have to be careful here now that there's a chance I might get red carded, you know, by just by rucking someone. Uh, and I think that that plays in guys' heads a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of gamesmanship as well I, in the ruck. I think there, there there are guys that are playing for 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 responses from players. Um, like rugby is an aggressive game. It is. It, you're you are dealing with. Big, strong men um, who are very aggressive. That's the nature of the game, uh, and it's incredibly difficult to uh, to to manage all that. Uh, and and I think a lot of the sanctioning is very severe, really severe. Uh, and I, I, I really, I didn't really want to get into like the area of the rocking because I, I just don't see, I don't see a, an answer. I think, I think all you can do from a refereeing perspective is try and be uh, fair on both sides, um, and the and the players need to be very quick to adapt to whatever the player, whatever the ref wants to do in that regard. Uh, you know, you, uh, you can't assume that every ref is going to be the same, but uh, I think you can go into a game assuming that the ref is going to penalize a certain way and, and, and the players should be made aware of it. And then it should be, it should be done that way. You know, like they, they they need to stick to the plan, you know? Um, so I, I don't know, like probably I haven't watched enough rugby to suggest that the premiership is ref differently to the URC. I think you've probably got different types of players. Um, a lot of South African guys, you know, uh, that, that in the URC, that are, you, you know, there's some really good guys on the ground, uh, and and similarly so when you play Glasgow or Edinburgh, those lads are, are particularly good on the ground, you know. Whereas, whereas maybe in the English in the English Premiership, uh, there's less focus on that, and and maybe there's a focus elsewhere, you know. So. Uh, I do think it's I do think it's gonna be one of the issues of the World Cup and, and uh you know it is still as grey as always. Like my day we dealt with it. You know, you know, if some fella was ruining your ball, you deal with it, you know, and uh you deal with whatever way you need to deal with it, which normally with your boot. Um but you know, those days are definitely behind us. Um, so we won't see a return to that anytime soon. Uh, so, yeah, I think I, I think that is one of the challenges, and I do think, as I've mentioned already, the sanctioning um, all the yellow cards for me, it, you know, is too much. Like one of my bugbearers uh, is the yellow card for a penalty try. So imagine you've done a line out five yards from their line, you've given away. There's been a couple of penalties already. Uh, and then they go and they they're they're driving towards the line. It, it looks inevitable that they're gonna score. And then your your Georgian prop or your your whatever, your big tight head decides he's gonna perform the coffee table and then knocks the whole mall <laughs> down and then finds himself getting finds himself getting sin and a penalty try. Like for me, a penalty try is surely enough. Um and then you've got yellow cards for scrummaging. uh I, I, that I don't get either. Like, if a guy's getting beaten into scrum, surely a penalty is enough. What, he, like, how is that going to improve the situation? Yellow carding a fella, you know. Uh it's like that. That to me is like uh, something that a blackadder goes for. General Belshad, like, how do we, how do we improve the situation? Where well, we sin bin him you know, <laughs> you know, you know, What else can we do? Well, that's Simbinum. Uh I don't know. Some of it is ridiculous. So, uh, for me, reduce some of the sanctioning. Uh, uh, I think this, this, this new, um, this new. What are we talking about? What? How do we call it? The uh, uh, the, um, the TMO. The bunker. Yeah, I mean, that's so sounds, can, yeah. That sounds like a good idea. To me, because waiting around as a as a uh, paid uh, uh, you know if you got a, if you're bum- for your for your spectators who are actually sitting down watching the match, there's nothing worse than you know st- sitting around watching. Well, what's going on? You know, are they is he getting yellow carded? Is he getting red carded? Like for that, just to be yellow card and then they deal with it in the next five minutes seems to me to be a good idea.
2: That, that's what they're doing in the Junior World Cup. I was watching it the other yeah. day, Malkey. Yeah. An obvious penalty offense, in fact, an obvious yellow offense, but is it red? A ref immediately binned him for 10 minutes, but he said we're yeah. going to the bunker and they played on, and about three minutes later, the word came back from the TMO. We've looked at it, it's definitely a red. So he then yeah. brings the captains, it was a red, and then they get on with the game again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's a good idea, as long as they're not my question, like who's making that decision, though, <laughs> like you know. Like, you, you know, so so much is a debate. And, and you, see, you, you see refs who are hesitant about, about it because they know the feel of the game. And then you've got some fella sitting in a bunker thinking, you know, oh, the sanction is, this is the rule. That's it. He has to go. So you'd hate to see it to be like nonstop, like orange card, red card and stuff to be thrown out. Like they do need to be more considerate uh, about the the way the game is people make mistakes in rugby matches like that it's game of, like like rugby is a physical physical game and i can't overstate state that and it's such a tough game and you know accidents happen guys get guys get hurt uh and i and i i've been hurt and i've uh you know and i've hurt people um but it never in malice never never intentionally um so you know, I, I I do think they need to to consider the player. The player does not want to be thinking going into a match I'm going to get red carded for something that I've no control of. Uh, the spectator is an important part of it. Like he needs to, he needs to know that there's a there's there's a fairness there for his team, um, and the ref really needs to have a good feel for for how you know something like that would affect the game. You know.
0: Yeah. Just returning to the Champions Cup before we um take a little interlude with the quick fire questions. How did you feel, Mal, to see obviously Leinster at heart, new format? You've obviously played your fair share of I think you were uh, playing at the Heineken Cup's inception. New format, no Heineken um anymore, and also Leinster in the same group as Champions La Rochelle. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure Look.
1: I uh, I'm 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 good with that. I think it's probably good to have La Rochelle in your group because at least you know when you play them it'll be less of a you know winner take all scenario. Um and they will probably get that monkey off their back, they'll beat them at home, um, probably lose away. Um as is the nature of the uh, of the game. I don't <coughs> even understand the new European format to be honest with you. Um it seems it seems incredibly complicated for for what it is but that that, that's that seems to be rugby these days it's just so complicated um that yeah yeah so uh, look i think i think uh leinster are um you know with the world cup and all that um I I presume the European competition is going to start post the World Cup, like a -hmm. a little bit later, right? A month later or something like that. Um, So it normally doesn't actually affect the European Cup that much. Um, And guys come out of the World Cup pretty hot, you know, like they're not overplayed. Um, So, um, yeah, I'd expect Leinster to be quite strong in in that. Um, uh, so I'd be optimistic. Uh, it's a long way away. Um, so uh, Leinster have plenty of time to uh, sort out their issues. Like they obviously got a change of coaching there. Stuart Lancaster is moving on. Uh, Neen and Barr is coming in, which is an interesting uh, change. So we'll see how that affects the guys.
0: I think that's a very good point. There is a bit of a sort of Leinster-La Rochelle hoodoo isn't there? I suppose, given the last, but yeah. I hadn't thought about it like that. It's a, it's a good chance to shed those sort of demons. Um, I want to discuss Ireland a little bit more to wrap up. But before we do, man, if it's good with you, we'll do the fifteen quick part questions about you. Oh and yeah, yeah. Awesome nickname.
1: Uh, so I'll, I'll give you the nickname I had in in London Irish. Uh, so it was Buddy. So the reason it was Buddy, uh, I would in Dublin we'd call each other Bud, like you call each other mate. Or yeah. right, mate. So we call each other Bud. So I had a habit I had a habit of calling everyone Bud. And and people just assumed it was because I didn't know their names. But uh, it was just a uh, it was just something that I did, you know. Are you bad with names? I'm not great with names, no. But when I when I when I was calling my when I'm calling one of my Irish teammates who I Club mates, uh, Victor Costello, when I'm calling him Bud, then he's going like, Oh, he, he just he wouldn't let that, he wouldn't let up on it then. So then I was budgie, everyone was putting on the Dublin accent.
4: <laughs> All right, budgie. <laughs> that <was>
0: the line. <laughs> so there is a bit of truth to the lack of name thing as well. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, best rugby memory,
1: um, so yeah, without well, I to be fair, I've had plenty of highs which was which I'm very fortunate. But uh, one that you guys might enjoy was would be the one the first time we beat England in the Six Nations, uh, certainly in it with the group I was involved in, uh, was in two thousand and four when when uh we beat England in Twickenham. Uh and they were the current uh rugby World Cup champions and it was their first their first match back. Uh and to beat them there was just incredible and Many, many have attributed that match as my finest hour. So uh, I'll certainly uh, call that one as my uh, favorite moment.
0: Most embarrassing rugby memory? Uh,
1: uh, I would. This would have been a couple of years later. So again, another game um, we played Munster in 2006 in the semi-final of the Heineken Cup in Lansdowne Road and. They were winning uh and Raj got a it was in the twenty two and Raj got past the ball from, from stringer, and I was facing him and I was expecting him just to pass it uh but he decided to take me on and he handed me off and he and he went straight under oh. under under the sticks and then he he dotted it down and then did one of those little jump heel click kicks and punched <laughs> the air to the to to the crowd. And I was left on the ground. Uh, It was a horrible, horrible moment uh, to do, uh, have failed so miserably in front of everybody.
0: I'll have to sort of unearth footage of that one. I'm sure it's there. So yeah, it's there.
1: It's there. Was that the last game
3: of the season as well?
0: Yeah, so that you've
1: got to oh. live with that. You've got to live with that oh, till uh, that's September. Rude. Yeah, that is that's worse than what the yeah. legislators actually. Are no, no, right actually, no, I wasn't. No, make it worse. I had to go on tour. We went you know, on tour then. Uh, we went uh-huh. to on tour in uh, in June. So with Rog and all of that. So, to be fair to him, he <laughs> rung me and apologized because he made such a song and dance about it, like that was out of order. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that, that's quite nice, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that
0: is that that's kind of overly nice because would we all not have made a <laughs> song and dance about it?
1: Oh yeah, well yeah, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh we're a bit more restrained, I'd like to think in over here across the water. Yeah, oh respect to Rog. Pre game tune. Uh yeah, so I always I always had the headphones in to be fair. Um so one that I liked is was the killers. Uh all these things that I've done. Do we remember that one? Yeah, Do we course. remember that tune? Yeah. Um, so that would be, that would be that. Yeah, no. that was a great song. Great song. It was just, you don't, you, you know, tunes like that. It just get you in the moment. You know, get you, get you motivated. Get you, get you alive and woken up. You know, post game meal. Uh, <laughs> Well, I'm never really in control of my post-game meal, but as long the my, my preferred ones are definitely ones in uh you know uh, salubrious surroundings in in nice fancy hotels drinking nice coffer of of, of wine a free wine and uh and a and a nice steak I I take that every time you know rather <laughs> yeah. than the stew the stew that you get in in, uh, in in or the RDS or something.
3: That's okay. the most Leinster answer we've ever had to that question. <laughs> <laughs> most, most people are like, oh, chicken nuggets and shit. Yeah,
0: pizza, <laughs> something like that. That's so classic. No, no, no,
1: no, no, no. I want, I'll, I'll take it. As long as it's not haggis. Like, I can remember having haggis in Murrayfield. That was
0: disgusting. <laughs> oh, i refuse to try it. Best player you've played against?
1: Uh, I've, got, I've got a few here. Because, like, again, I was in... I would play the premiership in the mid-90s just as the professional game started. Like, there were so many, so many great players. So I'm going to mention a few. I I say the Newcastle team, it was the first year that we played Newcastle, won the Premier League, our premiership. We had Gary Armstrong, uh, Scottish Scrum Half. He was incredible. Pat Lamb, who's current Bristol Bears. Man, you should have seen that guy play rugby. He was phenomenal. Uh, Richmond then, they were another super side, P. Shaw would play for them, Ben Clark, and Saracens then they had Pinar Sella, Michael Lina, Bath and Jeremy Guscut. Um, uh, but uh, without a shadow of doubt, the most prolific player I played against was Jonah um, I was He was the first real superstar of uh, um, uh, the real superstar of the professional game. Uh he was the first one. He was just immense. Um like the you know the the highlights real s- says it all, you know. Uh I, I'm one of those guys who has a t shirt who I tackled Sean O'Loman and on the back then I've got his studs where he trampled all over me and ran straight <laughs> over me. I can remember at a rook and you and you guys will know you're in the you're at the rook. I'm two guys out in the defensive line. I'm looking in at the ball, looking at the ball, looking at the ball, scrum half passes. And it's John Ulamu running full belt, straight at out my outside shoulder. So obviously he's gone clean through. So, um, that man was a, uh, God rest his soul was a special player. And, and I think brought the game to bigger audiences and, uh, you know, it's it's what you wanted from uh from uh, from rugby at that stage,
0: you know. Who is hardest to tackle out of Joan Loma and Ronan O'Gara?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I've shown you that perhaps it's not my not my finest part of my game is my tackling but uh, which, uh,
0: yeah, which... I'd, much rather, I'd much
1: rather Ronan O'Gara. Grant you that.
0: <laughs> I guess I'll rephrase the question, which missed tackle hurt more? Well, Ronan's
1: without a, with a shadow yeah, of,
0: death. The heart oh, of a of oh, Yeah, man. Jonas
3: physically and Ronan's
0: <laughs> yeah, mentally. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Best play- two very different types of trauma. Best player you've played with?
1: Yeah, uh, get- I played a lot of Babas actually. So I was really fortunate. I played, I played with a guy called Mark Andrews, who was a the in he was in the nineteen ninety five uh, World Cup winning team for South Africa. Um, I played with uh who else did I play with? Um I played with again in Baba's Justin Marshall. He is incredible. As a as a as a director of play, Scrum Half now, New Zealand Scrum Half, he was just sensational. He played actually played with the Ospreys for a number of years and we used to have great tussles against them. Uh he he was just as a leader, uh absolutely incredible but i played with rocky Elsom who was in for that year that we won the heinan cup in 2009 uh he was a standout uh player in 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 europe um he he was like playing he was like playing against a lot of under 13s he, he just had an ability to run over guys um uh, he, he was sensational, and he was a huge part of us winning that 2009 campaign. Uh, but without doubt, my uh, best player is Brian O'Driscoll. To have played with him and, and to have grown up with him and to see him mature and to have been part of his career uh, and to have had my career you know, overlap for such a long time, uh, and to him to be such a a great uh, a, go- a great pal of mine now um you know is just is brilliant i, I just think he's such a it was such a wonderful player to be to be playing with us he was the kind of guy that could win a match here. he was a, he was an out and out match winner and he won us matches so many occasions um and he did things that uh on the face of it to to the spectator just seemed just incredible like how did he have the skill but I would have been privy to the training and the work and the effort that went into all those little little moves that he saw as an opportunity to deliver something special and he just he just did it at the highest level and for me no shadow of a doubt who the best player was Brian deep
0: favorite player right now um
1: I've got my green tinted Glasses on here, I would say Gary Ringrose this season for me was just unbelievable. Uh, I think he maybe he had a poor final, but I I don't think that was all his. Well, I wouldn't say poor. That's not it. But I, I was expecting him to win win the final for Leinster. Uh, I and I I think the, the game just didn't come enough his way. Uh, we didn't see enough of the ball um, for me, and I think that was probably why we didn't win the match um so for me yeah him uh, or otherwise you know you could look uh, if I was to look elsewhere dupont obviously rd serea these guys are all super super players
0: i will see RD serea playing fullback for a uh, region, <laughs> uh, for an amateur side in new zealand <laughs> <laughs> oh man fantastic <laughs> yeah rugby idol uh rugby
1: idol i in my position uh john eels uh the man was sensational um i got to play against him once um and they they absolutely destroyed us but that was no surprise I was in the world cup in ninety nine which they won uh but he was he was like he was a ki- he was a kicker he was um he wasn't the, he wasn't obviously the most um he, he I was able to watch a lot of his football and see that he wasn't like taking a lot of ball on front line, but he was always there as support support player and whatever. So he was sensational. Uh, another Zinzan Brook. Um, he was, uh, he, I, I got to know him a little bit as well. So he's a super, super fella. Uh, like he obviously is a player. He's probably unparalleled. Uh, still to this day, I think probably one of the greatest number eights I've ever played again. And I got to play against him. Uh my first cap he he played um he played number eight against us.
0: Favorite stadium.
1: Uh Stade de France. Stade de France, incredible stadium.
0: And I think a lot of it
1: when you play international rugby, it's the atmosphere uh and the atmosphere that can that can be created in in Stade de France, especially when they are kicking off. And you are on the back of an absolute hiding. It's something to behold. And the La Marcia, of course, at the start of the match is pretty exceptional. And, and to be fair, like the the to the all those Six Nation stadiums, like Twickenham, uh the Millennium Stadium, um Murrayfield, probably to a, a slightly lesser extent, but um exceptional stadiums.
0: Favourite gym exercise.
1: Now, I'm not great on that side of things. That's not really my area of expertise. Back in the day, I could kind of do a mean snatch. Um, I kind of liked that. I kind of liked that I was able to do it. Uh, now it wasn't the heaviest weight now. And, and the lads that came after me, they you were know, starting to show me up and all that kind of stuff. I do. A, I used to do a lot of front squatting. Um, um wasn't a fan of the back squat. So I used to front squat a bit um but nowadays it's it's plank and superman i'm afraid
0: <laughs> not exactly the build for front squatting i i actually funny enough, i just started front squatting it kills your collarbones it's, it's very like sore
1: and i like today so now this sternum is not great so Oh really? <laughs> I think, and i think there's too much front squatting
0: yeah okay well i may have to take them out but it's good for forward. it's good for your posture right it is. It's a l yeah, it is very, very good. Um, but maybe that's why I'm terrible at it, because my posture's not great. <laughs> uh occupation if rugby didn't exist.
1: Oh. <clears throat> um well I think I'd probably be in some sort of engineering field, obviously, with my training. So that's probably an easy one.
0: Nice. Superstitions.
1: Um, what did I say for superstitions? Oh, I didn't write anything, did I? Um, Oh, I'm probably not the most superstitious. I do remember Rocky Elson being a bit more superstitious than me. He used to wear different types of ruby boots. He'd wear a, an old pair of ruby boots. These like well, he had holes in them, and they were like his lucky boots. And he actually gone out to to play, and he, he would actually just train in them. So he he'd he'd do the run out in these old boots that his big toe was sticking out, and um, which was I thought pretty bizarre. I I can one thing I used to uh do and I did my last season for a bit of crack was um I would um you know if your lifting pads for uh for um to be lifted as a second row, uh, I used various protein bars and I'd wrap the protein bar and I'd use that. And I said if we won if we won uh the uh if we won the what to be called the, the the Rabo Direct I think it was then, but if we won our league, that I'd eat the I'd eat the protein bars at the end of the year. So, uh, uh, and actually, I I had to eat them if we didn't win them, and Stephen Keough was going to eat them if we won. He was one of the lads on my team. So unfortunately, I had to eat them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Poor you. For you, rugby law, you would change.
1: Well, we spoke a lot about this, yeah. but I I think I think one thing they should, well maybe not change but they should sort out is the advantage rule. I hate the advantage rule. And I think there should be three phases max, uh, four phases max, and then use it or lose it. it. Doesn't matter if it's a penalty or a scrum. But it, it for me it's just too much that you should have twenty phases. Okay, you didn't get it. All right, we get <coughs> a penalty now, and then you got to kick for touch, and then you have to go through all that again it is too much for me anyway. So I would change the advantage a lot.
0: Okay, interesting. And lastly, best thing about working in rugby? Um, the people without a
1: shadow of a doubt, the people, um, that I have met and, and the fact that rugby brings it to, I suppose, fortunate enough, not everyone will, will have experienced, but the, to have played uh, at the professional level, um, that players come from all sort all corners of the world um, and share share their 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 experience and their their lifestyle and 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 their thoughts with the with the greater community, uh, with the with the with the squad. Uh, it's just it's inc- it's fantastic, and the players I've met over the years. I've just been brilliant, you know, um, and it was a great experience. Um, I loved it. Uh, I love touring. Another, I love touring. Touring for me was just fantastic. It was a great way to, to travel as well and see the world. So um, yeah, so yeah, the that was a great lifestyle. Yeah.
0: yeah, awesome, amazing. Right, let's jump straight back into Ireland because I'm conscious of time. Now um, oh, I know you need to go in just a little bit. Uh, I'll put you on the spot very quickly and you have been asked this question on a couple of podcasts I've seen you do but well not for a little while and it's always changing so what's your starting second row for Ireland at the moment?
1: Um, Ty Burton and James Ryan
0: and who's coming off the bench?
1: Uh, I would have um, what's his name? Uh, Ryan Baird
0: okay no Ian Henderson not at the moment, no, no, I well, know I'd say he's number four,
1: he's number four, he's my number four,
0: yeah, yeah. What's happened because I know you were a fan of Ian Henderson. What's happened for Ryan Baird to jump out of him?
1: Ryan Baird is unbelievable, mm. he is just a phenomenon. Uh, and I just think the, the back row is there's so much going on in the back row with Jack Cohn and Calen Daris. um, Peter Mani. Um, there's some. They're, they're like, I think Ryan Baird has got an opportunity, perhaps, uh, to come off the bench in the in the row rather than rather in the back row. So I'd have my team.
0: Can I yeah. put you on the spot for your starting back row as well then?
1: Well, I, that is a tricky one, and I would say that they won't nail it down, um, because for me, Kaylen Doris is a much better number eight than a, than the six. Uh so I would be having Jack Conan, um, Vander Flyer and Peter O'Manney one one week and then I'd have Kaelin Darris at eight uh with Van Flyer and maybe Ryan Baird or something like that the next week. You know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be nailing it down. Those lads are interchangeable. They've shown they can be interchangeable and then maybe put Kaelin I just think you miss you miss something. With him at eight, um, and you lose something a little bit
0: with him at six, you know. Yeah, I think, um, that, I think that is the general opinion. Um, that Calen Doris is a much better eight. The trouble is, I guess, is Jack Conan and Brendan. I'll bring you in here. Jack Conan's been in such good form, and he doesn't necessarily have the versatility to play six, or not that I've seen, yeah, that. yeah, Brendan. Wooden. Yeah, I mean, he,
2: um remember he forced his way well on the on the lions uh two years ago now he had a strong tour it seemed to just go off the board a little bit had a fantastic finish to the season um and you, were, you know, such a strong player such a sort of powerhouse sort of player and you know you're looking for ways to get him in the team i think mm. um but Ireland's versatility in the back rows is astonishing yeah i think Malk is right you can you know, it, it's only it's only a thing that a top team can do, but you can rotate those back rows. Ireland can do that. They can pick horses for courses
1: yeah.
2: uh, for whatever match, because each and every one of those players uh, is a superb player in their own right, and most of them, except Caelan Doris, pretty versatile. So uh, I don't think they, they have to nail the colours of the mask yet, but I hope they, you know, they're, they're doing some serious thinking in the background about which combination they'll want for their big matches, because they can pretty much project... Know, what's going to be happening in, in 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 early on in that World Cup? They got they're going to have two huge matches, um, and then other matches they've got to win, uh. So yeah, they, they've got all the resources there. It's just a matter of sitting down and getting it right for each each match.
0: That is true, actually. Obviously, you've got Scotland and Ireland, uh, sorry, Scotland and South Africa in your um. First few World um, Cup games. Is that saying, Mal, that you think that potentially Ireland could field two completely different back rows in those two games.
1: Yeah. So their first match is Romania. We shouldn't pose any problems. Tonga. Hopefully, we don't get too many injuries. The old Tonga. Now you'd be going, okay, one of us is going to lose our head, but that's not <laughs> going to happen uh, anymore. Um, they will probably get two or three red cards or something, something, something along that. But I, and then of course we we have to play South Africa, so that's when you'll see that they probably, you know, that first that first real strong side. Um, uh, there's been a real challenge, but they'll have had, already had played two matches, so guys will ha- will be at different different peak levels. So whoever played Tonga, you know, arguably you could say, well, look, we're not going to start you that so I think I think you get away with not having your top side nailed down for South Africa and Scotland. Uh, and then you kind of see see who's see who's still still there, who's still at who's still up for it uh come New Zealand stroke France. And you know uh I'd rather have at this stage loads of extra players than than you know have have, have don't have depth. So, you don't know who will be injured or who will be on a yellow card or who will be suspended. So, um, I think looking beyond that is probably, probably foolhardy, you know.
0: You spoke in 2019 of Ireland's chances for the 2019 World Cup being pretty good. And then there was a bit of momentum loss seemingly in the June-September period in the build-up to the 2019 World Cup. So, well... I've, I've spoken on this podcast before about that game against England where I think the score was like 57 points to 15 at Twickenham or whatever. And that seems... Oh, you know, yeah. Oh my was, God, yeah. It was not a, not a great day to be wearing green. Yeah. didn't necessarily bode well yeah. for the World Cup. Speak yeah. about the importance of these few months from here. And, well, if you think that the, it will shape up differently to 2019, yeah. I know you'll speak very highly of Ireland's chances now. How will yeah. it shape up differently?
1: <laughs> it's, it's so so important. Um, and it's been a problem for Ireland, and I think it's it's been a big problem for Ireland. Um, and I I wonder is it less so? And I know I know other other uh great rugby minds have spoken uh about it's less about Ireland and not continuing on a on a on an upwards trail in that France, the Englands, the South Africans who don't have the time that. Traditionally, Ireland always had together during a Six Nations season, will certainly have a lot more time to work with each other and to create bonds and to build relationships. Um, where, you know, we all know majority of the, of the Irish team comes from Leinster. So we know that those bonds are already made. So you're going to have a lot of teams that are, are going to have very, you know, that low hanging fruit. Increase, you know, like they're going to be able, they just just by training with each other for a period of a couple of weeks, as long as your coaching is good, which you know we all you know Steve Boardwick's a great coach, uh, and and so many other, so many great sides will improve. Um, and for Ireland, it's going to be a real challenge to continue to grow, um, and they need to continue to grow, and they need to continue to. Um, you know, find find ways to continue to be the best team in the world. So um that's not easy. But they do have a great coaching staff. Um and it's there's there's a lot of challenges there. The one challenge is like, you know, you've got three we've got three matches. We've got Italy, we've got England, and is it England again? Um so you've got three matches uh there, but you've got what, thirty, thirty thirty men, 32, 32 men in the squad. So you have to get you have to, you need two or three games to get really find your, find your level, you know, and, and get up, get up to a, a peak, you know. So there's not that, not actually that much rugby there. So you have to be able to find that, that, uh, that competitiveness on the training field. Um, so there's, there are a lot of challenges there for the coaching staff and, and they, they, they learn their keep now in uh, the next few months.
0: Your neck out, where are Ireland getting to obviously your heart will say to the final and going all the way and winning it? But where do you genuinely believe that they will likely end up? Um
1: again, it's very hard for me uh to not say what, what you suggested, like to have my heart in my sleeve and say to go all the way. So I do think that they can go all the way. They definitely can't go all the way. But similarly so, you just look at look at uh, the scenario that they're faced with. New Zealand and France, I do think they could beat South Africa. Um, I think they can beat South Africa in the pool stage. I don't know what benefit that is, um, bar momentum. Um, so to, they have shown that they can beat France. Um, and I do think they can beat France. Uh, New Zealand's a little bit more of an unknown quantity. I just don't know where New Zealand are gonna be. Um and they team, they're a team gonna get better and better as the as the uh as the campaign continues. Um like they were, they may be a little bit rusty uh to begin with. Um so hopefully we will maybe could catch them before they really hit their straps. So that would be my hope then. And then of course if we get through that. Then we've only got England to worry about. So.
0: <laughs> we oh, will be I don't think they will be there. Yeah. I think that's optimistic from an English Yeah. No, honest. Australia no, no, Dark no, I just to ask quickly, Who would you
3: um who would you rather have in the quarterfinal? I was just about France in that, France yeah. or or New Zealand having I mean, beaten them 2-1 last year in a test series away from home. I don't know. I'm I'm I'm
1: I'm still I maybe <clears> it's maybe it's my my uh, the past um I I I would I hate the idea of playing New Zealand, uh. But similarly, so France and France is such a difficult, difficult uh scenario. You know, um. uh I, I think I take my chances with New Zealand. I think I take my chances with New Zealand. No, I'm not sure that New Zealand team is what it was, you know. And I think it might be a little bit undercooked, uh, when they reach us, um. If they beat us, they'll be hard to beat. How's that? Was that.
3: So yeah, that quarterfinal, There's so much riding on it, isn't there? I mean, yeah. whoever at, at those two quarter finals. No offence to England, Australia, mm-hmm. Wales, and Argentina, but it, it does it does almost feel like if Ireland are able to get past that quarter final, they are well well on their way to going on the way. But yeah, if not
1: yeah
0: it's <laughs> a disaster
3: ball, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a disaster
0: yeah well, well the general belief is that the the winners coming from one side of the draw right
1: yeah oh, There's no
0: guarantee no guarantee no, but... no of course if there was, they want knock like, themselves the knock themselves
1: out as you say england australia that's 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 i don't i don't see anyone else coming out of, out of that side of it um and uh England still have a lot to do um but you know They've still got a, a couple of months out it you know you'd never know you just never know and once you get a run once you get a run, you know that's the key um to beat Australia Australia's gonna be Australia an unknown quantity with Eddie Jones and all that crack you know, and he'll get a tune out of the early doors you know so <laughs> once, so
0: we'll, we'll see we'll see it's interesting, yeah, it's exciting, thank you for giving me your prediction. i'm I'm still not sure what i um predict, to be honest uh but yeah, I think well, Ireland's chances are a hell of a lot better than ours, even despite the the group of death. Well, I think we'll wrap up there. So, thank you okay. so so much for joining us. Before we do wrap up, I'm it's actually awesome. well, I I sort of I'm taking a brief two week break from the podcast, and I should introduce our new host for the next couple of weeks in Nick Powell himself. So, Nick, why don't you just preview what you hosting the podcast is going to look like?
3: Well, yeah, I'll focus mainly on next week. We're going to be previewing the Rugby Championship, um, which I think a lot of those questions that we were kind of asking, particularly with regards to New Zealand and Australia, yeah. it'll be fascinating to see those answered over the next uh, couple of weeks. So, yeah, we'll be looking ahead to that. Difficult to know what to say when none of the action's happened yet, but I'm sure that the columnists will provide me with some of the answers that I'm looking for.
0: Well, hopefully my FOMO won't be too bad because, yeah, the rugby championship will be a cracker this year, actually. Again, well, last year I remember we predicted the four placings and the four winners and it was me, James Horwell and then Nick, Brendan and Chris. Mm-hmm. All of us gave a different combination. This is very, very similar this year and, well, early prediction from my side of things, I think the Bled is low, could be going back to Australia for First time in however long, but we'll see. Should we do
3: a should we do full predictions league just to throw them under the bus? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now so yeah, none of them have got a chance in hell of getting it
0: right. No, mm. absolutely not. Well, you, there's an idea for you next week. Um, but yeah, I'll well see all of you except you, Mel, of course, um, in a few <laughs> weeks' time. And Mel, thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, go well at the World Cup. I don't know if you're going out to Paris, <laughs> by the way, if you'll or if you'll be back in Ireland.
1: Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, if you're in Paris,
0: I will see you there. Good, man. Good stuff. See you, Ali. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of The Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content as little as 14p per day.